Welcome to episode number 44 of That's a Wrap. Welcome to episode number 44 of That's a Wrap. I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Gullen. So today we're going to talk about our top five biopics, which should be plenty of fun. Um, Chris came up with this idea, I believe, if I remember correctly, and uh, we jumped on it immediately. So that's that's going to be uh, it's going to be cool. Uh, we'll go into an introduction of that later, but first we do pickups where we kind of catch up with each other. So uh, is anything new with you guys, Chris? Well, um, we just finished our semester at Westfield on the 9th and just finished exams. So I'm in the midst of grading and getting ready for um, this weekend's uh, commencement uh, exercises. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, that'll be it. Just have some meetings and other, other things to finish up um, for, the, uh, for the semester, uh, for the contract year. And that'll, uh, that'll be it. And then I'll be spending the summer hanging here in Massachusetts with the kid. Uh, writing a book, working on a movie, and uh, so yeah, I, I, it'll be a busy summer, but a good summer. Yeah, those are the those are the best for sure. That oh, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, how about you, Nick? You've got nothing going on. I know that <laughs> you're just sitting around. Well, yeah, Chris is right. It, it, things are a little hectic because, as uh, listeners know, you know, moving's never easy, and so I've got a move coming up, and um, it's stressful. You know, there's. There's uh, dealing with the movers and there's finding a place to live and purging all that stuff you don't need anymore, the stuff you do need and, you know, figuring all that out. It's uh, can be stressful uh, or I should just say is stressful. I don't think it can be. I think it's yeah. probably stressful for anybody. So there's that. Um, and that, yeah, that you're right, Chris, that is kind of occupying everything, you know, uh, um, not that moving is that big a deal. You've done it several times eric's done it a lot you know <laughs> too I, many times i i've been pretty sedentary for the past 20 years though so it's it's kind of an uprooting and uh you know uprootings can you know they're when you're up when you're pulling roots it can be hard so but uh what else that's about it really frankly um you know that's kind of a, a full-time thing every day so that's yeah it. yeah i don't i don't envy i hate moving uh, i've done yeah. it a lot yeah. Um, cool. Cool. So yeah, not much for me. It's uh, it's been uh, the beginning of the summer has been pretty good. I always have this uh, sense of existential dread at the beginning of a summer because I know I'm going to have more free time than usual, and I know there's uh-huh. always stuff. There's always stuff I want to get done, and there's always this kind of you know kind of this dread of like, am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to look back in August and be like, I didn't do anything, which has happened before, you know, that whole, that whole situation. Sure. But, um, but so far I've been pretty productive uh, the last week or two. It's been, it's been a really good week actually. I've been, been quite productive. That's good. Yeah. That's so great. About that. um, I watched uh, the, uh, I watched Irrational Man this morning, the Woody Allen. Excellent. Film. Yeah. And uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. I mean, speaking of existential dread and all, uh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> you had a bit of a twist that I didn't know about, <laughs> so actually, sure. I, didn't really, I didn't really read. I didn't read much about the film, but oh my god, yeah! So I'm caught up on my Woody Allen, which is which is great. Uh, if Chris, Chris, if you end up watching it, we should do uh, like maybe a an episode on it, like a segment on it. 
Oh, I'll be watching it probably uh, probably next week. Right. Once things once things calm down a little bit, uh, I will. Uh, I'll 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 probably watch it. So. Yeah, we should get on that. It's it's. Uh, I think it's worth it's worth talking about because he does some For pretty sure. interesting interesting things on it. Uh, what else? Well, it's about a professor, isn't it? Yeah, sure yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A professor of philosophy, actually. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that was that was my morning, and then yeah, otherwise I've just been uh, kind of following. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch The Voice uh, on NBC. I don't, but um, I, I don't do have not, cable. No, yeah, I don't have cable either. But I've uh, seen like, it, but you know, gave up on it very early. Yeah, so I don't watch it either. But um, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Anderson, he's uh, been posting on Facebook about the, one of the contestants, this guy named Laith Alsadi, and he's uh, he's from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, so I thought I'd tune in, you know. So I just hit YouTube and the NBC app, you know, and just started watching just him, you know. I didn't watch any of the mm-hmm. other contestants, and he's great. So I've been spending yeah. like the last couple mornings just like listening to this guy. And I, you know, I live next door to Ann Arbor, and I've grown up in Southeast Michigan, but I don't know this guy at all. Um, uh, so I've been like watching all of his performances and stuff, and he's quite good. He's, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes um, to you know one of the YouTube things. Right now he's he's gone pretty far in the on the contest. By the time this airs, and by the time people are listening to this, it'll, the whole season will probably be over. Uh, so who knows what he's going to do? But, um, but yeah, it's been, so I've been like kind of just listening to that a lot and watching that. And yeah, I've been, seen I've seen the um, I've seen you know posts in social media referring to him, yeah. and I think I clicked on one of them. And, and yeah, he was he was uh, I th- I think playing to his own guitar accompaniment on one of the yeah. clips I saw. Yeah. It, and, he, and he was good. He was very good. Yeah, no oh, question. He's uh, yeah, he did this. Um, uh, uh, what's the Dylan song? Um, that Hendrix uh, redid. Um, Watchtower. Or? Yeah, he did the Watchtower. Uh, he did a great rendition of that. Uh, the other day, and he does. Yeah, he does his own guitar. He does a lot of solos and stuff, and it's kind of cool because he's um, uh, Adam Levine. Adam Levine is that the guy's name? Adam Levine's yeah. dude or whatever. But Pharrell has this like is like in love with the guy, and every every time Pharrell's <laughs> like even this guy's like we got to vote this guy forward. He's like that guy in high school that everybody knew who was into rock and roll, and even if you didn't get it, you know, it's just you got to vote this guy forward. <laughs> he's, he's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just really funny every time he does a guitar solo. Pharrell's like whoa, so right? And you know. It's kind of funny you should say that, Eric, because the reason I think I, I mean, I did watch several episodes, the first so-called season or two, because I don't understand how they label seasons anymore. The Voice is on episode or season like 27 or something, you know, season but 10. I mean, I was being hyperbolic on purpose. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the point is, is that it has not been on for 10 years, I don't think so. Uh, so I uh, think of seasons as typically probably in the calendar right. year. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Well, yeah. ten years would make it what two thousand and six? No, I don't think so. It doesn't seem um, right, so, it? I, I, but I watched it early on for a few episodes or whatever. But you know, everything you just said about like, um, we got to vote this guy forward or this person should go forward or whatever. Yeah, but they never do. That's the thing. Is so, yeah. so it becomes well. increasingly frustrating. So that's why I just you give up because you're convinced everybody's an idiot. Uh, I see. Well, he's in the finals, so 
Uh, I've hardly ever seen it. I, I think I've seen maybe a couple episodes with Heather because she was watching it. And then I might have actually seen one or two episodes with Nick when I was over at your place. Yeah, yeah. could, could um, very well be. And I'm not giving a shout out to the show. I mean, the voice. Oh, sure you are. You're, 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 you're no. promoting it, Eric. No, I, you're an I addict. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you're, I don't, you're, I don't, you're an addict, don't you? I don't have any interest in discussing the show itself. I think all these shows are step program. Crap, but this, this particular uh, musician is really good. So, uh, it, it turned me on to a local musician. I'm really happy about that. So that's yeah. all. I'm not trying to, you know. Um, yeah, he says here, uh, 2011 was the first season, right? So they so had 10, ten, seasons. ten seasons yeah. in five years. So they do two yeah. a year, I guess. <laughs> How weird. Yeah, that's that's part of the new the new uh, the new world here. The new world order. Two seasons a year. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about the Netflix model, like you have seasons of things too, and they all drop on the same day. So, like, what is, yeah, what is a season now? Is it just a collection of episodes? I think it's a cost reducing laziness factor. It's all economic, you know. Label something a season and yet do, I mean, seasons were 22 to 25 episodes, historically speaking, Mm -hmm. uh, and ran, you know, what from, uh, they would, they would, uh, you know, there was off season and, and then season. So they would run from what, September to May or June, yeah, something like something that. Like and, you know, they were hectic working schedules. And, and now, you know, it's different. Yeah, because now you can have seasons that are 10 episodes, five episodes. Yeah. yeah. Where it's one one season. And in Britain, they call them series. Yeah. Right. I've heard so of, it's yeah. I've heard of podcasters doing that where they'll they'll reboot with a season two. You know, I thought about doing that with my wet podcast because I had uh, had a little lapse, you know, in episodes where I didn't post for a while. So I thought about just coming that's back. That's cool though. That's smart. That's yeah. actually a good idea. Season two, episode one. You know, but then I thought, you know, what? I'll just keep it going with the numbers. And I mean, who cares? Like nobody does. Anybody really care? Nah, no one's paying attention. So. Um, <laughs> one thing I like about a rash. Going back to a rational man, real quick. The one thing I like about that is that what I like about Woody Allen in general is he keeps his films down to 90 minutes. Yes. Almost or so religiously. Yeah. And, and you know, we should do a show sometime. We should do an episode of our top five films on, at 90 minutes or under. Oh, wow. Oh boy. That's interesting. I think that would be fun, you know, because I, I like that. I, I mean, I don't think, the, I don't think every movie should be 90 minutes, but you know, I think there's, there are a lot of movies. There's no oh, man, I almost want to say to you, can we – I wonder if we could do like 95 because I can think of so many films that run like with credits, with about, credits or like yeah. 93, 94 minutes, you know? Yeah, we could do like under 100 or something, you know? Under Yeah, under 100 minutes would be good. Yeah. If you include Those, credits, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I'm just putting that out there. So if people, if people want us to do that, let us know. Uh, put, a, put a comment in the show notes or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Let us know what you want. We're we're here to serve you. So <laughs> we're here for you. We're here for you. <laughs> we we're the podcast that cares. That's right. That's right. We 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 want to deliver to our to our loyal customers, and we, we really like you. giving yeah. service. That's right. That's right. Oh boy. <laughs> right. And on that note, uh, should we move into segment one? Sure. Yeah, I'll just make a quick note that if anybody wants to sh- look at the show notes in which we will um, put all of our picks and everything and any links we mentioned, you can go to that's a rap dot com. That's a wrap with a W. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. And you can uh, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com dot com slash.
slash that's a wrap. We are talking about biopics. And when uh, we decided to do this, we didn't give each other any guidelines uh, or anything at all. We just, uh, it was just like, let's do top five biopics. Okay, so... Um, we should probably define what a biopic is. I think we probably all have the same definition or a very similar definition. But mm-hmm. um, Chris, you 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 propose this. You want to give us a definition of a biopic? Sure. Um, to me, a biopic is a film that focuses on uh, the life or the segment of a life of uh, a person or group of people. Um, is quasi based on reality um so there's elements of uh of the person's real life or a group's real life um but um but there's going to be areas of it that are fictionalized so um for for dramatic license and um and they can be of recent people sometime you know they can be of way way in the past so just some some something basically telling somebody's story uh either from beginning to end or of a important segment of their life yeah and and it's it's um generally actors playing parts right not not a documentary with 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 right right it's a it's a dramatic narrative so it's it's not a not like a PBS show on Mark Twain, for example. Right, right. I think that's really um, in, important to delineate or to, you know, it's kind of, um, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, to, uh, you know, to specify because I think a lot of times people look at um, documentaries and biopics very similarly, but, they're, mm-hmm. but, but uh-huh. they're different for a lot of different reasons. And yep. I think it's really important that, you know, like a documentary is is usually found footage or footage of people or people you know um, filming real life I guess right uh, there's a you know with documentaries there's a um, the the conceit I guess is that you're filming something that's actually happening where with a biopic it's understood that you're recreating in some way or another right it's been right. scripted and cast and produced exactly and, exactly. Yeah. exactly and you could have documentaries that have um, where you know where where certain certain scenes of a person's life may be you know dramatic reenactments. Right, or, true. Uh, you know, PBS does that a lot with yeah. some of the Ken Burns documentaries, but I wouldn't consider those actual biopics. Those right. are documentaries with dramatic reenactment. Same, and I'm yeah, exactly. completely in agreement with Chris's definition, and that's exactly how I chose mine. Yeah, same here. Same here. Um, and so the other interesting kind of like meta concept, I guess, here is that. Um, like when I, when you guys first proposed this, I was thinking. At first, I was like, I can only. Th- I don't know if I can think of five biopics that I know or that I like. You know, I couldn't <laughs> even come up with any. And then I started thinking about it and started thinking about it. And now I'm in that position where I'm. I don't know how to narrow it down. Right? right. There are so many. I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many of these. How do I? And then the other thing is, and and we'll get into this probably as we get to our picks. But the the, the questions that I was asking myself is like, what makes a good biopic? Is it the importance of the subject? You know, the person being presented, is it the take on that person or people's lives? Right. Is it the way it's the film is made? Is it the historical importance of the biopic itself? Right. It could be any of those things. Uh, You know, so it'll be interesting as we go through our, um, our list uh, to see uh, to see how that goes, and 
I have one. I'm just going to tell you right ahead right now. That there's one that I have not seen that uh, came out a little while ago that I know I'm going to like. And I'll bet you would have made my list, but I haven't seen it. So if you guys mention it, hmm. if you guys mention it, I'll tell you what it was. But we'll and see. I think now just talking, I just uh, guessed Nick's biopic. So top, oh, top biopic. You? Oh yeah, I, I just, yeah. I just realized it. Yeah. I just realized it. I know it's. I know. I know it's I, top. I, so. I, I know what it is. I know what it is. <laughs> Regular <laughs> listeners will probably have a clue as well because they hear a clip from it every week. So probably <laughs> right. So <laughs> there's a clue for you. Um, Anyway, so you guys want to? We'll do what we normally do on our tops. We do. We start with five, and then we do like a round robin, um, where the person tells the five number five and explains why, and then we go through and do that until we get to number one. And Chris, I think you have to start because you, this, this is your idea. That's right. oh, oh God! All right, uh, all right. My number five is actually a musical. Um, and it's uh, it's an older older musical, uh, and it is uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, oh. which is the fictional uh, the the musical life of uh, George M. Cohen, uh, and it's uh, it's it's a favorite it, it's a huge favorite of mine uh, for for so many reasons. It's got wonderful musical numbers. James Cagney, who plays plays George M. Cohen, um, does it with such uh, joie de vivre. And he, he, it's, it's a different role for him because up to this point he was in, uh, primarily gangster films. So to see him kind of switch gears and do a musical really speaks to his, um, his, his ability as a, as, as an actor. But as far as taking a, uh, there aren't, you know, there, there, there aren't many musicals that are, that are really biopics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah. this is, yeah, there there aren't. I mean, no, of course not. There, why would there be? Uh, why would there be? Um, but I, it, it this definitely is uh, is is a favorite of mine. And I'm also I'm a fan of George M. Cohen's work. I'm you know, and and uh, it's it kind of ever it pulls everything together for me. And you've got a great a great supporting cast um, uh, with uh, Joan Leslie, Walter Houston, and uh, Richard Worf. So you got a you got you got a really a nice really really nice nice cast in the film and great nice choreography uh as well um so yeah it was it was a, a big big fan of mine so that's 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 and i uh, think that's a number five fabulous choice i'm a huge Thank you. well you've tapped into something that regular listeners know uh i'm a sucker for which is nostalgia that's one that i saw yeah. growing up uh because my grandfather adored that film um and uh, we, we, you know, my God, I was, I was probably in second or third grade when I saw that film for the first time. And it's the type of film where you're singing all the songs, um, you know, for like days afterwards on the playground, oh, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and just and the way that Cagney, uh, you know, with, uh, moved his physicality as a performer, cer- certainly his versatility as an actor, but his physicality as a performer and his very unique style of dance uh not he was to a mention true song and dance man song and dance man and in this in my household hungarian talent was always uh, pointed out and of course that's kertes mihai michael curtis uh one of the stalwart um hungarian eastern european immigrants and immigrants to the hollywood system uh right. one of the you know most famous directors in hollywood during the studio era so wonderful you know great 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 choice thank you thank you Eric, have you, are you are you a fan of uh, 
Yankee Doodle Dandy? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a fine film. I didn't even uh, consider it as a biopic. It didn't was not even on my radar. So that's mm-hmm. that's uh, that's great. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. It's not uh, you know you know my my relationship with musicals is kind of eh, you know sometimes, but uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. That's good stuff. There's um just just as a Easter egg for for people who have never seen it, um. There, did you ever see the Seven Little Foys, um, uh, Chris, with Bob Hope? With Bob Hope, I don't think I have. Okay, it's a, I have it, so I'll gladly share it with you. Um, yeah, I like the Seven Little Foys is the story of Eddie Foy, and in that film, which was made about twenty years, yeah, fifteen years after Yankee Doodle Dandy, yeah. Cagney reprises the role of Cohan, and he and Hope have this famous scene where they're dancing uh, on these tables in like a boardroom. <laughs> I think I've actually seen that yeah, scene. It's great. I've actually, I, I've so actually seen that. Continuity that, that between you know, decades and uh, actors and biopics. It's very, uh, it's really, it's a, it's a great scene. To yeah, see that's him nice. reprise the role, you know, that's cool. That's cool. No, I haven't seen seven little foys, but I'll put it on my list. Oh, you don't have to. I'll, I'll get it to you. That sounds good. <laughs> cool. On the All right. List. All right. Who's up oh, next? Good. Who wants to go next? I guess I'll go. Uh, okay. My number five is uh, Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Aha! Uh-huh. Ah, wonderful film. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's and you know I picked this one because it's. Uh, I think when it when it came out, it was um, very important. You know, it was, it was 1992, and this is a time I think where um, perhaps we needed to be reminded of Malcolm X's legacy, and and I think that the film brought his um, his life and his ideas to a whole new audience that maybe hadn't experienced him or hadn't didn't know much about him, and I think it was uh, like Spike Lee. I think did a really good job, you know. Um, Putting putting this together and the, you know the way it's divided up into into three parts and all that stuff mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, um, Denzel Washington is just absolutely phenomenal phenomenal yeah he's so good in this film and uh, I just think it's a really important uh, kind of historical film in a lot of ways and it's not just about Malcolm X but it's about all the uh, you know all the issues that that come with you know a documentary about Malcolm X. So I think it's it's always worth rewatching. It's worth seeing. It's it's a you know you can it's one that you can um you can watch over and over, you know, and it's it's educational and you know. So Malcolm X is my number 5. That's a great choice. Uh and I think the reason that I, one of the reasons um that um I love that film as well is cuz I read I read the uh, the autobiography mm-hmm. of Malcolm X in high school. Actually, I read it twice in high school. Um, and Lee stays very, very close to the source material. Yeah. He does a really good job with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it is based on the, yeah, the Alex Haley book. Um, yep. The autobiography of Malcolm X. So. You know, I have not I, – I saw it in the theaters when it came out when I was living in Ipsy. And uh, probably watched it one or two more times on, you know, on TNT or on – you know, Bravo, basically on cable reruns over the years. But to be honest, I have not seen that film in probably 10 or 12 years. So when you just said you need to revisit it, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I do remember it's sort of the epicness of it. That was the other thing, because it's a sprawling documentary. I mean, documentary is a sprawling biopic. Um, it, it, you know, as you say, covering those the different phases of his life and his um, various conversions and his ascendancy to 
um, to be such a, a, a transformer, you know, in in uh, in the social and civil rights movements of the era. And damn it, I need to revisit Malcolm X. It's probably been yeah, two thousand five or six since the last time I watched it. Yeah. And it does sprawl, like you said. It's a very long film uh, mm-hmm. that goes through a lot of stuff, but he does it well, I think. What's your number oh, five there, Nick? The okay, so my number five is Milos Forman's The People versus Larry Flint. Yeah. Um, which is um, <laughs> right? not a, it's a very, very powerful <laughs> film. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, – it's as accurate as it is inaccurate, which is to say it's about 50% bullshit and 50% truth. The The truth that it gets right is more important than the bullshit it gets wrong, I would say. And it, um, you know, it's got that real uh, sort of Milos Forman touch. Um, and it, it's, it's a film that I've used in, for teaching for many years, as you guys know. And it, uh, it, it, it becomes a really great sort of civics lesson in in discussing the um not the life of, of larry flint as a smut peddler but basically his role as a reluctant first amendment right marauder essentially mm-hmm. um it's not something that he aspired to be uh it's something that he just did i think because he had been well frankly pushed around and he thought that the constitution belonged to as much to him as it did to anybody and ultimately was, you know, um, you know, uh, vindicated in the, in the Supreme Court in 1987 uh, in a unanimous decision. So, a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but wow. um, it turns out to be, uh, I think, um, a really powerful film. Um, it, it, and it has very much a, a lot to do with um, what is the role of satire in a, in a republic, in a free-thinking democracy, um, what happens if we put, um, you know, muzzles on South Park or The Simpsons or any satirical commentary that you may read in uh, a cartoon on the cover of Newsweek or something like that? You know, as he says in his summation, Alec Isaacman, this country has a long tradition of satiric commentary. And when you can start suing people over that, it opens up the, the floodgates to uh, a really messy society where I'm suing this person because my feelings were hurt and so on and so forth. So if there's no libel or slander, you just have to deal with unpopular speech. <laughs> and that's really what the film is about. Just one little last comment. Um, uh, Scott and Larry, uh, um, oh my God, and I've forgotten their last names. I'll, I'll come back to it in a second. Uh, uh, wrote the screenplay for this. Uh, and um, I'll bring up the IMDb page in a second because that's of some importance. Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. And uh, so that's my choice for number five. I use that film to teach all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, because that, that I use it in Intro to Film and then I also use it in Intro to Mass Com when I'm talking about media law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, it's absolutely. great. It's great. Love that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's uh, I'm I'm a little I'm not surprised it's on your list. I, I thought it'd be even higher than five. So it's so nice. So nice for you. Um, so yeah, good stuff. So that was number five, and now we're on to number four. Um, I lost my document. I don't know where it went. So oh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so I, someone else go for number four. Uh, who went first, Chris? Um, I, I guess I can go for it. I, I can go first. Okay. Go for it. It's all you. Um, my number four is the film Basquiat. 
from oh my uh, gosh. 1996. I don't know yeah. if you guys remember. That's a film. great movie. Yeah, yeah. it's such a good movie, right? I forgot about it. I know, right? Yeah, you haven't thought about it in a long time, have you? Uh, no. And, yeah. and when we were talking about biopics, it was one of the first ones that came to mind. Um, and uh, it's it's um, it's a very compelling biopic about the uh, you know the artist Jean Michel Basquiat, who you know was this kind of homeless dude, <laughs> uh, you know, living on the streets, and then he kind of got into the fold of Andy Warhol and his Andy Warhol's contemporaries, and and became kind of a sensation uh, before dying at a very long, young age. I think he was twenty seven, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Isn't um, Warhol played by David Bowie yes. in that movie? Yeah. So yeah, and that's the thing about the movie. It's so weird. So Jeffrey Wright plays Jean Michel Basquiat, but yeah, David Bowie plays Andy Warhol. Dennis Hopper is in the film. Gary Oldman is in there. Christopher Walken, Willem Dafoe, Parker Posey. Like it's just got this huge. Benicio del Toro is in it. Like it's got this huge cast. Uh, Courtney Love's in it. Um, you know, and it's got this huge cast, and it's it's you know about this kind of uh, really kind of idiosyncratic guy who just got discovered. You know, um, and um, you know in a way couldn't handle the fame, and you know he had substance substance abuse problems. But I, I think as played by. Um, by by Jeffrey Wright, it's a very compelling uh, documentary. Or I'm sorry, see, I did it too. Uh, biopic, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, because I was, yeah, you know, when I was going through my earlier and talking about like, what are your, what are our criteria? You know, are they historical importance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, another criterion that I think is almost impossible sometimes to tell is is fidelity. You know, how faithful mm-hmm. is it to the true person? I don't know. Sure. I don't know about Basquiat. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I really didn't know much about him until I saw the movie. You know, the movie taught me everything I knew about Basquiat. Then mm-hmm. I had to go back and, and look for his art, you know. Um, so, uh, I mean, it could be completely false for all I know. Um, I, I doubt that it was, obviously. But, yeah, David Bowie puts in this great Andy Warhol. Um, and it's, you know, it's uh, – I mean, I think it's a really, it's a, I don't want to say it's charming, but it, like, there's a certain charm to him and to the film. Um, For sure. Even as tragic as it, as it becomes. So that's. You see, uh, and then I, I'm glad you chose that one, Eric, because it, you, you, you bring to the forefront the, the inherent danger uh, to the biopic, which is, and, and we talk about this a lot in, in intro to film, whereas like historical biopics or historical epics, that are framing events typically are held to a higher level of scrutiny than the biopic. And I think that's probably because um, there's a, a even stronger tradition in Hollywood of getting the biopic, making it very selective and making it fictional in places, um, even more so than historical event pictures, which also were very factually inaccurate for decades as well. So, um, you know, and I think it's it, for some bizarre reason, biopics tend to get a, a free pass. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, because otherwise, you, like you just said, you don't know what the fidelity is. You have to go do your own research to find out how accurate the film is. And that requires time and energy, you know, uh, to go read some biopic, uh, biographies and things like that. So, uh, biopics are, there's that danger to them. Uh, apart from that, though, like, um, that's a great choice. I have to be honest. I have not seen that film since it came out and it's really hazy in my memory. It's been that long. I haven't seen it in a long time either. I've seen it since then, but it, but it's been a little while, but it, it's one that sticks with me. So it's a, it's a good, it's a powerful one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my number four. Um, Nick, so that Chris can end this one. Sure. 
My number four is uh, a real, 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 real favorite. I mean, obviously, it beat out uh, People versus Larry Flint. And that's 1998's Gods and Monsters, which was um, written and directed by Bill Condon based upon the novel uh, Father of Frankenstein or Frankenstein's Father, I can't remember, by uh, Christopher Bram. And it stars it's uh, Ian McKellen as James Whale, the uh, English director responsible for, well, much, a lot of stage and theatrical work, but really coming to Universal uh, in the 20s and um, uh, sort of making a very, very uh, established and pronounced name and reputation for himself um, with his horror films, uh, which is kind of, there's a little irony there because it's not truly what his background was in. Uh, and so he wound up usually putting a lot of his own personality into these genre films because he was not truly a, a gothic horror person, uh, which is why when you watch, his, you know, like The Invisible Man or Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein, that um, you you uh, you can see these sort of like James Whaleian, um, I don't know, signatures on them that, that aren't really traditional tropes of horror. There's a lot of humor in these films and there's a lot of charm in these films like the old dark house and gods and monsters is a you know there's some, some it's, it's kind of a fictionalized account of his last you know last year basically of his life where he befriends a young uh, a young gardener played by by brendan fraser and you have this unlikely um uh, bromance really um and of course i i when i use the term bromance it's it's not in a uh, heterosexual way because James Whale was a homosexual uh, in Hollywood at that time and was known as a homosexual in in in, in those um, circles, but not to the wider public. And um, the film spends a lot of time discussing, you know, uh, and showing what it was like to be uh, a homosexual during World War One in England in a factory town and then working in the studio system in Hollywood at that time. And it's just a, it's just an outstanding film. Uh, I, it's sadly forgotten when I ask students, cause I show clips of it. If they're familiar with it, never a hand goes up and it's, you know, it's just a, it's a real treasure. And, uh, so if nobody has ever seen it, that's listening, I highly recommend you seek it out. Gods and monsters. When you first mentioned it, I hadn't, I, I didn't. It didn't ring a bell. I was like, I don't know if I know that film or not. But then, as soon as you said Brendan Fraser, the entire <laughs> film came back to me. Ah. I was like, Oh yeah, I saw it when it came out, and uh, or at least, well, I saw it at some point. I don't know when I saw it, but um, it just completely came back to me. And it is a really good film. <laughs> I did that. The name did not ring a bell for me at all. Isn't that weird? You said Brendan Fraser, and the whole. I was like, Oh yeah, pretty yeah, forgotten film. film. Yeah, it has real art house sensibilities to it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a that's a good recommendation too. I think people should see that one. Um, I mean, it was forgotten by me as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and rewatch that. It was '98, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got one of my favorite endings of all time too. Even though it wasn't in our favorite endings episode, it's it's got a great great ending. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, it's great, Chris. Yeah, we'll have to watch it. I don't think I've seen it. I'll have to check it out. Check it out. What's your number? What are we on four? What's your number four? Uh, my number four is a tie, but a, the 
the one film that it's been tied with has already been mentioned, and that's Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. The other film, though, that's tied for number four is um, Fincher's The Social Network. Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, oh, I loved it. Um, I, I, I think uh, – and it's funny because last night on the phone, Nick and I were just talking about Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> and I think uh, everything I've, I've seen in his interviews um, seems that his personality is actually uh, not too far off of that of, of um, the, the, the Zuckerberg that he portrays is kind of this – well, a dick, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. But <laughs> – <laughs> the, the cinematography the thing that really helps th- with with that 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 really won that out for me though was the music i think the music yeah. uh by trent reznor yeah, and trent atticus Storm. ross uh added such a wonderful sense of atmosphere uh i mean it's 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 a drama but there are times the way the music is presented it's 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 so morose and dark it's almost the, the music almost presents it as a horror film mm. uh and i i just i love i love the movie and i i get, I get kind of pissed when people say oh it's just that facebook movie because i think it denigrates it really uh, i think it's a really um uh, an interesting study in 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 um in millennial social relations um in the way people communicate online, uh, you know, in the, in the, 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 the origins of kind of, um, these big, uh, internet companies, uh, and how they start. Um, I, uh, and of course it was, it was, it was filmed in, uh, in Cambridge. Um, so that was, that's always a nice thing to, to, to go, go through Cambridge and say, Oh, I, I've seen that, um, <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. I like, I like doing that. That's a, For like, sure. Yeah. But it's, it's a, Social Network was a, a really great movie, and I like I said, I think some people just kind of poo-poo it because oh, it's just that Facebook film, and I don't like that. I I, I think that's kind of really robbing something, um, and really kind of unfair to the film. Yeah, I think we saw that together, didn't we, uh, Nick? We did, Eric. We yeah. did, and we both we both had really strong reactions to it as well. Yeah, yeah I thought it was great. The opening scene itself. If if anybody who poo-poo's it, uh, you know, as as Chris is saying, just watch the first scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, that first scene's great. Yeah, with Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg, and you you get you get a lot of his personality in that scene. The way he, he mm-hmm. did that really fast clip talking, uh, yeah. you know, the talking over her, not listening. The way you know her reaction to him. The, the, there's a white striped song in the background. Uh, the editing's great. Like you get you get a good rhythm, you know, uh, in that in that scene that, that sets you up for the rest of the film um, emotionally and uh, as well as kind of uh, pacing. I, I think it's. Uh, yeah, that's a great film. And, you know, and Aaron Sorkin wrote that. Or wrote exactly. The screenplay, yep. Right. Yep. Um, yep. I saw that and Moneyball very close together. And um, well, we saw that one together too. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, yeah. It was, they were like within a year of each other, I believe. I think they were mm-hmm. they were pretty close together. And you can see some real um, similarities between those because because of the writing, I think. But yeah. I think yeah, I'm not a big fan of Jesse Eisenberg. He's not he's not like my favorite actor, but I think he does a really good job in the Social Network. To what Chris and I were talking about last night. He mentioned this to me last night because he thought I might not like the film. I said no, on the contrary. And 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 I said I said I, I like Eisenberg in that role. It seemed it seemed custom built for him actually. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of that film. I'm a big fan of Sorkin's script. Uh, like Chris, I enjoy 
um, Reznor's minimalist score. I think it sets a, it's a perfect tone for the film. It's beautiful to look at. I'm, you know, I'm a little hit and miss with Fincher. When I, when I, when I like Fincher, I really love him. And when I, I don't, I, I'm, when I'm not a big fan, he, he, he definitely he throws, you know, he's, he's outside the strike zone by a lot with me. But, um, I think social network is really an outstanding film in many ways. The, the criticism I heard most often of it was in Sorkin's script. And I have to, and, and I take, and I take exception to that I think it's a really excellent script. It's so, it suits the material. The subject matters so well. I but, concur. Yeah. yeah. Some people took a exception to the fact that, you know, he didn't have a, he or he had a girlfriend the whole time and there was no mm-hmm. like pining away for this other girl and, you know, stuff like that. But as we talked about earlier, you know, there's going to be some yeah. license and dramatic license sure. to try to get to. That's going to be like that with anything. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's going to be like that with any biopic. Right. It's a question right. of degree. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. So yeah, definitely good. Yeah. That's a good pick. Uh, it was, uh, it almost made my list, but it didn't. So, Social Network. That was number four for everybody, right? Yes. Yep. Um, I started that. So, Nick, maybe you should start with three. Or did you start with four? I don't remember. Eric, you started with four. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Nick, Nick. So, Nick, you go for it. Yeah, okay. For so, my number three is a lot. Uh, it's, um, well, it's it's tough. It's uh it's not exactly a biopic. It's a, somewhat of an allegorical biopic. Okay, uh, it's um, uh, Joe Dante's matinee. Okay. Um, now, okay. It, it, when I say allegorical, I mean that um, you, you've got you, you've got a film that's a, a very much about the filmmaker William Castle, uh, but instead you've got. John Goodman playing a character named Lawrence Woolsey, who is basically the the doppelganger for uh, the very famous producer director uh, William Castle. So uh, it, it's William Castle biopic disguise. Maybe it's one of those things where maybe they just didn't have the uh, the rights to do the William Castle story, so they took his character and put him into an adventure, you know, and named him something else. Um, but for those who aren't familiar with Matinee, oh, it's such a charming, typical Joe Dante film. It's it's very self-reflexive. It's about opening a horror film down in the Florida Keys during the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, and you know the the, the, the <laughs> communist scare. And Woolsey comes into town with this new radioactive giant bug film, which is called Mant, half man, half ant, all terror. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he opens it in this tiny little in, in Key West. And it, it, the, the, what's going on in the film mirrors what's going on in, in society in a very major way with like nuclear fallout and all sorts of stuff like that. And it's, it is such a charming film. I've opened many a semester either showing Living in Oblivion or Matinee, two, two really um, charming love letters to cinema uh, that are very different, but also very much the same. And uh, Matinee, if you, have, if you have not seen it, it is finally out on DVD. It was it kind of sat there for a long time. It had a nice laser disc printing, and then it was un- unavailable for a long time. And then finally the DVD and Blu-ray, maybe just the DVD, I'm not even sure if the Blu-ray's out, came out. And... Um, Highly recommended. It. It's it's um, such a fun movie. Yeah, it is a fun movie. I uh, yeah, I like matinee. I guess yeah, I guess that counts as a biopic in a way, right? It's mm-hmm. not advertised as such, but it's kind of it's kind of common knowledge. I could see it. Yeah, I can. I can give. I can. They see it as a. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's it's William Castle. They just don't call him William Castle, you know. That makes you wonder, though, like, for example, would, um, would Citizen King count as a biopic? You know, because well, it's William Randolph first, but it's kind of not what it is, but it really is, but it's not, you know. Right. I guess, again, it's a question of degree, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I think you could make a very strong argument for Kane being so, um, an yeah. uh, allegory for Hearst. Um it's 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 well known you know a matinee again is is um uh, it's 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 the unofficial sort of like uh william castle biopic <laughs> yeah i got it uh so that was your number three right mm-hmm. uh chris your number three okay my number three um is uh completely not charming um <laughs> it's actually very depressing um it's uh spielberg schindler's list yeah uh yeah yeah, um, it's that's that's. I think that's one of those. I don't really think I have to say that too much. Say too much about it. I think it's one of those films we've all seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it to teach every so often. Uh, not the whole thing, but I use um, the girl in the red coat. That's a perfect scene to teach. Um, and um, I I also read the book. I, I I thought it was a really good translation of the book, um, and it was. I think probably one of the most visceral films uh, about the Holocaust. I mean, there've been many, many films about the Holocaust, whether, you know, it's the, um, the boy in the striped pajamas or the gift with uh, Jessica Lange. But um, I think, I think this is probably the most visceral in the way Spielberg did it in black and white to kind of strip out the, the color and just kind of show everything that was going on and, and show, uh, the way that Schindler was able to, uh, to, to, to try and humanize him a little, a little bit, um, was, uh, was, was very powerful. I, I just, I thought it was a, a really, really magnificent film. I know some people, again, some people have said they, 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 they didn't like it or, or, or whatnot, but I, I thought for, for what he was trying to do for the adaptation and for trying to give this biopic of Oscar Schindler, I think he did a very fine job. But it's diff- it's such a difficult film to watch. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's brutal, brutal film to watch. Yeah. Uh, Those of yeah. us who, sorry, Eric, you want to say no, something? go, no, go, go. Uh, just that um, uh, a former guest on our show, uh, Robert Burgoyne, is a professor of cinema studies and um, an author. Uh, those of us who took him for this, you know, some grad grad graduate courses the phd coursework we did a lot of uh a lot of textual analysis of schindler's list it became um you know one of the case studies that we we did and read tremendous amount of um journal articles essays devoted to cinematic depictions of the holocaust um going back to things like you know um, you know night and fog for example um and it becomes a very dense and loaded concept. And in fact, I still remember one of the titles of the, the major pieces we read Schindler's list is not Shoah. Um, and ultimately the, what, you know, what we arrived at was that, yeah, Schindler's list was really a, uh, just sort of like Spielberg at the height of the cinema auteur theory, um, paradigm. He's really kind of like, um, taking a subject matter, uh, you know, a, a, as an American Jewish filmmaker, 
and re-embracing his, his own heritage, his own history, and uh, tackling this, this enigmatic character that was um, clearly a, a great choice for making a biopic uh, during the chaos of World War II. And then the question became, but how to do it? How to do it? How do I address this with sensitivity, but also with the boldness and the courage to show things that are going to destroy people? Um, I think it's sort of the template for his the beginning of of um, Saving Private Ryan, you know, which really, frankly, is the only thing I really love about that film. But um, it's a great choice, Chris, one that I didn't think of because it's probably outside of my comfort zone. And uh, in terms of I've, I've seen it maybe twice, you know, in the theater and then maybe one other time because let's face facts, unless you're doing textual analysis of it, it's it's not like putting on Wreck-It Ralph, you know, it's a tough it's a tough slog, you know. Oh, it's an un- it's an uncomfortable film to to, to watch. But I, I I mean I think any any film about the Holocaust is uncomfortable. I think it's supposed to be. And I, and I I misspoke earlier. The Jessica Lange film that I was talking about was Music Box. That's the that's the one she the the one she got I think an Oscar nomination for. Um, that that's also that's also a good film. But I I would I would agree that that. Um, Schindler's List is is pretty much the 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 apex of of Spielberg's career. I mean, I think that's that's where he's at is the top absolute top of his game. Yeah, Schindler's List did not make my list, although I um I thought about it. Uh mm-hmm. but it was like like Nick, I was just like, "Oh, it's so, you know, like I don't uh you know, I don't know what to do with it, you know, in in a certain way." So, my number 3 is also a Spielberg film. Um which doesn't really narrow it down that much, right? Because like, he does, he has a lot of biopics, right, Spielberg? Yes, yeah, I guess he does. Now that you think about it, yeah, um, it's not Lincoln, and it's not Bridge of Spies. Um, I, I, for number three is Catch Me If You Can. Oh, all right, I forgot about that movie. Fun yeah, movie. so did I. So what had I title. initially, yeah, and that's and that's why I liked it because it's fun. Um, I wanted my my number three to be kind of fun. It was between that and uh, I mean, if if I could do a tie, it would be that. I don't know if you guys know, I love you, Philip Morris. If you guys nope. know that film at all, we can talk about it later if you want. It's it's in my honorable mentions, but I was thinking fun biopic, weird shit that you don't even think can actually be a thing, you know. And uh-huh. uh, and, and catch me if you can is that right? I think that um, and the reason it won out, I guess, in a way, was that um, Leonardo, Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio is so good. Yeah, you know, in that, and I, I like Tom Hanks. It's just kind of like you know, a real stand up kind of you know he's the guy that's you know gonna get him and and you know and i just i don't know just um it's it's just a charming film and it's funny and it's 140 minutes but it doesn't feel like 140 minutes Mm -hmm. no it doesn't you know because so much weird shit is going on you're just like what like i think you spend half that film going is this is this could this possibly be real (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. you don't know anything about it. Like, did he really do this? And you know, it's it's based on a real dude who did the stuff. You know, um, from from what I can tell, um, from what I know. Um, so, because I, I don't know about you guys, like I had never heard of the story of Frank Ab- Abagnale Jr. Uh, before that movie. Right, no, me either. Yeah, I had never heard of him before. Neither had I. No. So, 
Um, so unlike the Holocaust, you know, or, or Lincoln or, you know, uh, so which I thought, which I thought was kind of cool too, because it was a biopic of somebody you never heard of that you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's great. Why. I remember that title sequence being so cool too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, I love you. Philip Morris was a different, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you and McGregor and, and Jim Carrey and, um, and, uh, they're, they're lovers. And uh, one of them keeps trying. Like, they're, one, they're in jail. They meet in jail, mm-hmm. and one of them is keeps go, getting back into jail so they could be together. But the you know he's a he's a con man. It's very fucking weird. Um, uh, it's 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 also kind of a comedy. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, so those it was kind of a tie for me because those are both kind of silly biopics. You know, but. Um, you know, I always complain when you guys do ties, so I shouldn't do that. But yeah, so we'll just stick with uh, Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So that was number three. Uh, number two. My number two is Capote. Ooh, Ooh. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2005's Capote, um, and it's all because of Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I have to say much more than that, but Philip Seymour Hoffman puts I mean, such a great performance in, as he always did, mm-hmm. you know, with just, just about every role he was in, but he just does this, like, you just, you get this sense, and again, I don't, I didn't know Truman Capote, right, but you get this sense of this guy who is just like, he wants to get to the bottom of the story, and he befriends this uh, guy on death row, you know, and, uh, it's just, uh, uh, it's 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 pretty heart wrenching, you know, because it's about him um, uh, writing in cold blood, doing the research for in cold blood. But you know, you just get this like real interesting relationship with this killer, and um, I think um, it's it's uh, Laura Kinney does it. Or, I'm sorry, um, who plays? Um, Ah, uh, I forgot what I was. Oh, Catherine Keener. <laughs> Let's start that over. And I think Catherine Keener puts in a really good performance too. She's another uh, actor that I like in just about everything she does. She kind of goes under the radar a lot, but um, she does a, a really good job in there too. But it's all, I mean, he really just carries this film for the most part. And it's, uh, um, you know, such a good dramatic kind of story that you, another one where you're like, oh, wow, this like, this kind of happened, you know? So. Yeah, that's my number two. Capote. That's a great choice. I really miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, one yeah. of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to confess that I have not seen Capote. Oh, uh, really? I remember I remember watching him win Best Actor, and I remember the film, and I remember seeing all the clips, and I remember another Capote film out at that time. Uh, there was like two Capote films uh, within a year or two of each other. I'm, I remember the English actor who played him. And I did not see it, um, so my bad. My my it shame. It took me. It took me a long time to see it. It took I me that, years and years. Game of Thrones woman behind me going shame, shame. shame. <laughs> <laughs> it took me. It took me years before I actually saw the film. I kept oh, wanting okay. to, and I kept yeah, I kept meaning to, and then finally I sat down to watch it, and I was like, wow, this is actually a really good film. So, That's me minus yeah. the part where I actually, you actually sat down. And watched yeah, it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean to get around to it, but because uh, I yeah. love I love uh, the subject matter and love the actor, and you know would love to see the film, but just didn't get to it, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Great choice, though. Yeah, you can't see Mark. Chris, any reactions to Capote? Um, other than the fact that I think it's a phenomenal choice, um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's great. I I, I love that film. 
and I because I I love his writing. Um, I loved right. I loved I loved In Cold Blood, so it was kind of cool because I had read In Cold Blood and then I saw the film, so it was kind of cool to see that relationship yeah. after right. having read the book. So that was yeah, because cool. more of a behind the scenes thing, it is. right? It then, is. Yeah. It's real. It was yeah. It really illuminated certain aspects of the novel. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah really good choice. Cool. What else we got? Uh, we're doing our number twos. Number twos. Yep. Well, I'll go since it's going to be quick. Okay. Uh, my number two is uh, Nick's number five: The People versus Larry oh, Flint. Wow, and that's I like way it. high, Chris. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I think that I, I think it's wonderful. I think that the 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 um, pretty much for every reason that you that 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 you said, Nick. I, I don't think I could say it better than than you did. Um, other than, like I said, I'll just reiterate that it's just such a great film for teaching, um, and it, because it's not, it's not about the film's not about pornography. Right. It's about expression. It's about the freedom of expression and freedom of speech, um, and that you have to take the good with the bad. If you don't like, you know, and I, I, I tell my mass comm students, you know, you, you, we, we all hate the Westboro Baptist Church, mm-hmm. but we all should fight for their, uh, for their freedom to be able to, to spew their rhetoric. Uh, because if you, if you don't have that, then you, you, you also can't have Bernie Sanders, right? Mm-hmm. You, 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 you have to take the good with the bad. So, um, but, uh, it's a, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful film. Just great performances. Just the performances are, are phenomenal. So yeah, I will. Um, that's all I really have to say about it. But it's my number two. It's it's such a powerful flick. Uh, I know Eric yeah, sure recently watched it just last fall because he was proctoring a class for me, and he said he hadn't seen it in a while. Oh wow! And he, okay, and and he was like, "Damn, that is a good movie." <laughs> so. Yeah, I had uh, completely forgotten. Yeah, no, it was, it was so powerful. It is, and the students too really, really uh, respond to it as well. I think they they do. And and f- f- funny if <laughs> little tidbit of funny information. I actually bought my copy of the DVD mm-hmm. at Larry Flint's Hustler Club in New Orleans. <laughs> no kidding! <laughs> yeah. Oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this huge. Uh, right on Bourbon Street is the Hustler Club, and it's it's enormous. I and it's it's a it's it's you know, and it's it's of course it's got the club, it's got st- the store, it's got everything. So, yeah, I uh, I went into the Hustler Club and I bought a copy of People versus Larry Flint, and uh, yeah, I just I had I had to get it from there. Just it was out of principle. Little known fact for principle. listeners that uh, Chris named his cat Althea. After Althea Flint, that's <laughs> very true. That's oh, very wow. true. My cat is named after Althea Flint. Yeah, I've I have just a big love, a big love for this movie because of the the because of the movie and because of the everything that the movie stands for. Thomas Newman's score is also really phenomenal. Oh too. yeah, so, oh yeah, it is. That's a, a good one. I guess that brings up yeah. my number two. Yep. Because yep. then, because then it, we're we're all we've arrived at the pearly gates of number one. Well. Um, I hope I'm not too transparent in my choices. I know a couple of them were probably pretty easy, to, but uh, number two, gosh, I saw this twice in the theater when it came out and a thousand times since is uh, Sir Richard Attenborough's Chaplin. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, there may be a trend here that some of my favorite biopics happen to be about Hollywood and, and uh, uh, at least three of the films. Four, four, wow, four of four of them. <laughs> four yeah. out of the five have to do with Hollywood. That's crazy. Um, 
obviously this film is about, you know, Charlie Chaplin, um, the little tramp, uh, the great silent and sound era movie star, uh, probably one of the most recognizable, if not perhaps the most recognizable silhouette or icon in cinema history, the little tramp. I think even today, uh, teenagers might recognize it if, if, if not, maybe they don't know the name of the person. I had uh, a student who had the little tramp silhouette tattooed. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, so um, very, very iconic. Very iconic. Um, Chaplin is really remarkable. I know some people that are not thrilled with it, but I mean, uh, I, I think it's a great biopic. It is sprawling and epic. It's one of those true biopics that goes from infancy to, to death. Um, and it charts, uh, really well, both his personal life and his scandals and as well as his work. The film always takes the work very seriously. Uh, and, and Charlie, you know, was, um, married several times and had a, you know, fairly, you know, scandalous rap sheet. Um, although a lot of it was just sensationalized by Hollywood, uh, some of it truly was quote sensational and some of it wasn't and just was made to be sensational. Um, but he was the world's most famous movie star and the film has its pros and cons, but the performances, the locations, the casting, the John Barry score, which is probably my favorite Barry score. Um, and Sven Nykvist's, uh cinematography. It's, it's a remark. And, and that cast, holy cow. I mean, this is a very, very diverse cast. This is the film that really, you know, put Robert Downey Jr. simultaneously on the map as someone to be really respected for his, his acting prowess and skill. And, but it also really heralded the, uh, the beginning of his, uh, substance abuse addictions that caused him so much problems. But people like, you know, Anthony Hopkins and, Dan Aykroyd and Kevin Klein and Penelope Ann Miller, and Marissa Tomei and Mila Jovovich, it's Diane Lane, massive cast of who's who. Even a very young um, David Duchovny is in this film. It's it's Chaplin. It's a great movie. I can watch it anytime, and it's come. It's very useful to me when I teach history of film too. Um, not only can we look at you know, Chaplin shorts, but we can look at this fictionalized account of Hollywood when it was nothing but orange groves, as far as the eye could see. And in, in present, you know, present day Chaplin studios, which on La Brea, which are now A&M studios, you can look at that and so on and so forth. It's, it's a great movie. It is a good movie. I, I haven't thought about it in a long time. I should, uh, I should rewatch that. For sure. Yeah, like you said, for the film history stuff at the very least. So what about you, Chris? Have you seen that? Oh, God, yeah. I, 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 Nick introduced me to that film. And uh, Downey Jr. becomes Chaplin. I mean, yeah. it, it is it is so it, it yeah. it's almost freaky how uncan how uncanny he looks like him. Yeah, I mean, it's just <clears throat> yeah. yeah, everything about it's wonderful. But then but especially for the historical for the historical is very, very helpful. Yeah, for example, it doesn't spend a lot of time on like the formation of UA, you know, like the Pickford and Fairbanks are in the film. Uh, Griffith is not. They don't talk about that, but then they'll spend time like on Max Senate, you know, and Senate Studios, the Keystone Cops and, uh, and, and Laurel and Hardy, Stan Laurel's in the film, uh, cause he was Chaplin's understudy. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dan Aykroyd plays a really good Max Senate and, you know, just like, 
it, 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 for the historical uh, aspects of it, it's it's really fun to watch too. Really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So that was number two. Um, now we've all done our number twos, right? Yep. yep. So should we make Nick go first with number one, Chris, since we know what it is? Well, we know what it is. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think we should. Yeah, I think Nick should, okay. should go first. <laughs> so rounding out my bio, top five biopics is my fourth biopic about a Hollywood figure, and that would be Tim Burton's Ed Wood from 1994. Uh, this is a film that was custom made for me. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> also written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, the guys that wrote People, Very, People versus Larry Flint, who are very good at writing 50% bullshit, 50% true biopics, because Ed Wood gets <laughs> as much right as it gets wrong yet again. Um, but they're kind of like, uh, screenwriter, the auteur, you know, screenwriters as auteurs, uh, and because they've written so many biopics. They did another one for Burton, Big Eyes. They also did, uh, oh, yeah. another one for Milos Foreman. They did, uh, the Jim Carrey film about, um, um, uh, the, 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 the Latka, what's his name, uh, from Taxi. Um, uh, help me out here, guys. Uh, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, um, Jim Carrey played him. Um, oh, Over the Moon. Man Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So these yeah. guys have written multiple biopics. Uh, and, of course, this one's based on Rudolph Gray's book. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. For those of you who have not seen Ed Wood, it's, it's a great biopic that, um, you know, chronicles the, the, the life of Edward D. Wood Jr., a, a low-budget schlockmeister of the 1950s, who had the distinction of being voted the worst director of all time. He, clearly, he's not. That's a, that's a subject for an, in another debate. But um, it treats the subject matter with a lot of reverence and respect. Um, and like People versus Larry Flint, it's really about, you know, quote-unquote, freak culture or, mar- or marginalized culture, about how people at the at the margins of society – uh, form bonds of family. Joan Hawkins wrote extensively about this in her book, Cutting Edge, and she's and she nails it too. I mean, both both of those films uh, deal very much with um, outsiders who are trying to get inside, uh, and how they form bonds of family to do that. And that's very much what Ed Wood is. It's about him and his troop, and at the core of it is a semi-fictionalized, semi-accurate depiction of his. Um, Friendship with Bela Lugosi, uh, played by Martin Landau, who went on to win an Oscar for his portrayal of, of Lugosi. So that's my, uh, my number one is that's my favorite biopic of all time. I remember when I came out in 1994, I was, we were making films. Shout out to some of my friends from EMU. We were shooting stuff on 16 millimeter during the time that this film came out. And so we were, we were so spurred on by Johnny Depp as Ed Wood. And his his passion, but lack of talent for filmmaking. This is what every young filmmaker needs to see this movie to get to get um, you know inspiration to go make a film. Yeah, no, yeah that's, a, that's a great way of saying it. Yeah, I think so too. And it's and it's and it's fun. You know, it's fun to watch as well. So that helps. Yeah. So great, awesome. Uh, Chris, what do you think? You or me for number one? Uh, it doesn't matter to me. 
I think Nick, Nick pretty much knows. I'm sure he knows my number one. I know. I, that's why it's not on my list. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, shall, I go, shall I go, Eric? Yeah, I have no idea what it is. Okay, go ahead. Uh, all right. My number one features uh, the most, uh, I'll, I'll give you, Eric, two hints. The most annoying laugh of the 80s, <laughs> and the protagonist is played by an actor who's from Plymouth, Michigan. Oof. Uh yeah, yeah, you got me. That would be Milos Forman's Amadeus, based uh, on Peter uh, yeah, Schaefer's play. Uh, you know, when I was making my list, I thought, oh yeah, well, Amadeus will be Chris's number one. <laughs> I thought that as I was making my list, and That's, I completely see, you know me, and Nick, yeah, Nick yeah, knew. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Nick, yeah, yeah. Nick knew it. Oh yeah, Nick knew it. Oh yeah, oh Who's yeah. From Plymouth? Tom Who's Hulsey. From Plymouth? Tom Halsey's okay. from Plymouth. Yeah, Tom yeah. Halsey's from 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 Plymouth. Uh, uh, I saw Amadeus. Uh, actually, I saw it the year it came out. Um, and even though I think I was eight because it yeah, came out in eighty four, yeah. I was eight. I fell in love with it, and I fell in love with the movie, and it helped really. Um, I, I mean, I had already loved, started to love classical music, but it really propelled me, and I I I think I. Uh, I bought the the soundtrack to it, which is of course you know all music of Mozart and Salieri, um, and I wore out the tape, mm-hmm. uh, the tapes actually because it was a two two tape set, um, and you know it's interesting because it's not you know it, it's based on Peter Schaefer's play and the stage versions just absolutely marvelous to see, um, but it's not performed very often. And it's not a true biopic of, of, of Mozart. It's, it's more of a biopic of Salieri. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the whole film is told through his point of view. Uh, so which is why you kind of get this, this, this caricature of, 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 of Mozart. Um, but it's a, it's a film about great talent and, and, and jealousy and, uh, the human condition, uh, set against the beautiful backdrop of Prague. Which is a stand, a nice stand-in for uh, Vienna and Salt, uh, Vienna and Salzburg, mm-hmm. uh, and um, wow! I mean, I, I, and I, I have the director's cut, which comes in at about three, a little over three hours. Yeah. It's wow. a long. Oh, it's a long. I mean, the, the regular, the 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 non-director's cut, I think, was two and a half, and they the director's cut added another thirty minutes of material. Um, and everybody, I mean, it even has a, a the, you know, uh, Jeffrey Jones plays the goofy uh, emperor. <laughs> emperor, yeah. Uh, and he's so silly. And Franz this, Joseph. Franz Joseph, yeah. You know, and, and Christine Ebersole is in the film. And, Wolfie. Uh, Wolfie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I uh, so and of course F. Murray Abraham who who plays Salieri and basically narrates the whole thing and this is another one that I use to teach. Um, it it's 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 a marvelous movie. It's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I can pretty much put it on anytime, and I just I love looking at it. I love listening to it. I love watching it. Uh, and I think Halsey was his his portrayal of kind of this goofy impish Mozart was, was, was great because it's, you know, when you think about this man who, I mean, Mozart died when he was about 36. Uh, he put out so, so much music. I mean, it, it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal to look at his catalog and what he put out in, in, in that short, that short life. So it makes you wonder if he had lived to be 60 or 70, what else would we be listening to? Uh, really, I mean, it's just absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. 
So it's, it's a phenomenal, wonderful, wonderful film. I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I, I, man, I knew that. Um, uh, <laughs> mine, mine, you guys probably won't guess. Um, my number one is David O. Russell's film, the fighter. Oh, I know it. Sure. But I never would have guessed. I know it. I wouldn't have guessed either. Yeah, I love that film. Um, I'm not big on boxing, and I didn't know. This is another one where I didn't know the subject matter beforehand either. You know, I didn't know anything about Mickey Ward or anything like that. But um, for me, it's all about the performances, and I think Christian Bale is so good in this film, and Mark Wahlberg is so good, and Amy Adams and Melissa Leo do great jobs in this. And I just think it's a, such a compelling, uh, compelling story in a lot of ways. You know, this guy who's overcoming all these obstacles, and he's got this drug addict. Uh, brother who's his coach, but kind of not his coach. And, uh, that's Christian Bale. And then, um, the, for the boxing scenes, they actually went back and they, they, they found the old HBO equipment. They actually, you know, how HBO used to do, you know, the boxing matches and they did. They filmed it with that same equipment and they get, they found some of the operators, like the HBO operators who okay. would, um, film, film boxing matches and they filmed it like as you would a boxing match, you know, instead of doing like a single camera, or whatever. They, it was like a multi camera setup with the old equipment. And so when you see the boxing matches in the film, you get this feel of those, those old, um, those old broadcasts and, uh, I just, when I think biopic, that's one of the first things that comes to mind because I just, I just really, really like, um, uh, Christian Bale in this film in particular. I think everybody else does a good job as well. And then at the end of the, somewhere on the DVD on one of the extras they have, it might be at the end, in the end credits, they have, uh, some footage from the actual people being depicted and, uh, Dickie Eklund in particular, the guy who Christian Bale plays, you see him and you're like, holy shit, Christian Bale is like right like he nails it, you know, the way he gets the guy's mannerisms. I'm not and I really, yeah. And I really like that in a, in a biopic is I think it's really impressive when, um, when an actor gets the, the mannerisms and, and kind of almost inhabits the part, you know, and I think that, um, of the ones that I chose this one and Malcolm X, I think Denzel really does that. And there's uh, at least one in my, uh, honorable mentions where I think you get that same kind of embodiment, um, of the, uh, of, of the person, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think just absolutely amazing. So that's mine. The fighter. I wish I could comment on it, Eric, but I didn't see it. Ah, it's so good. It's Ditto so for good. me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, put it on your, put it on your list. It's on so, the list. On the list. Uh, honorable mentions. Yeah. I've got a few. I've got, a I've few got definitely several. Mm-hmm. Who wants um, to go first? I will. Uh, I'll just list them quickly um, because um, it, it's a nice transition from one boxing film to another. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm just going to list off like five alternates, you know, that uh, would have would have rounded out a top ten, which are Raging Bull, you know, Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull, the Jake LaMotta biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, that would, that, you know, these aren't in order. Um, uh, also, Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde would have been on the list as an absolute all-time favorite. Uh, Franklin Schaffner's Patton with that wonderful Francis Ford Coppola screenplay and great performance from George C. Scott as General George S. Patton. Uh, A Man for All Seasons, Paul Schofield as Sir Thomas More, one of the greatest uh, biopics ever made, actually. I absolutely adore a Man for All Seasons. 
but uh, I, uh, it's not, it's not, it doesn't reach that pantheon of, of like absolute favorites that would make it to the top five. And right. then the last one would be uh, Alex Cox's Sid and Nancy, which I've discussed right. in previous previous podcasts. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering if that would make it on or not. Me too. You. I was curious. Yeah, those are yeah. my alternates. Alternates. I like that that term. Alternates. That's good. Um, I'll tell you mine real quick. Um, my alternates <laughs> are uh, "Boys Don't Cry," mm. which Ooh, uh, powerful. Yeah, yeah, very powerful film. Yeah. Uh, very, very nearly made it on. I mean, it was really that or Malcolm X. You know, for me, it had to be one or the other. Um, so, Boys Don't Cry. Uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Mm. Yeah, that's a great choice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, quills. You guys know Quills? Sure. Uh, about the Marquis de Sade. Jeffrey Rush. Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey Rush plays yeah. the Marquis de Sade. Um, yeah, it's such a good film. Uh, Man on the Moon, uh, where I think, I think Jim Carrey really does channel Kaufman in a, yep. in a, in a large way. And then, uh, Kinsey. I don't know if you guys know Kinsey. Oh, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Liam Neeson, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a real fun one. I yeah. enjoyed That's a great flick, actually. Yeah. Love, love that, that was. One. Yeah, Kinsey's really good, and that almost uh, that that got really, 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 really close to 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 making it onto the list. Well, I um, what I admire about Kinsey so much is that they, it, it's such a narrow slice and topic, you know, like yeah. very specific part yeah. of this guy's life, very specific project, and and it's so good, you know. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, hey, let me ask you a question: uh, Would The Big Short be a biopic? Sure. I would call it a biopic. I would because it shares equal time between those between yeah. the two characters. You know, um, right. it's 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 event driven biopic, but um, it's still I would I would say it's fair game. You know, hmm. yeah. Because I when I was talking about Christian Bale um, with the uh, fighter, I, I, the big short popped into my head. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that could easily be on this list as well, right? Because you guys know that I love that. Uh, that film, and then of course I, I already talked about. It. I love you, Philip Morris, but it's definitely on my on my honorable mention as well. So, uh, Chris, uh, okay, um, Michael Mann's The Insider. Oh, oh yeah, God, yeah, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. One of the best yeah. performances by Russell Crowe in his career. He's showing that for uh, yeah, Todd Haynes. I'm not there. Don't know it. Oh, it's that's his, the one. That's it's, the one that I thought would have been on my list if I had seen it. Oh, oh really? Okay, yeah. that's the one oh, that I am. Cool, that's a cool movie. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's I haven't seen it, and then I think I would like it. Yeah, it's different, different takes on uh, Dylan. Oh, it's really great. I love, I loved. I'm not there. I, I actually saw that in um, a class with Kirsten Thompson. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that was great. Um, as I, I um. Uh, I sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, all right, two more. I have uh, Mel Gibson's Braveheart. Mm-hmm. As low as I am to put anything by my, I'm not, I don't like Mel Gibson as a person, <laughs> right, but Braveheart's right. just a great movie with a great sure. score. Uh, and Julie Tamor's Frida. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. About Frida Kahlo. Kind of That's a beautiful film. It's yeah. a, it's a beautiful film. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I loved it. So those yeah. are my, those are my alternates. Yeah. I meant to watch I'm Not There this week so that I could, uh, you know, include it or not you include it. it. You just, should watch it and then let me know what you think. Yeah, I definitely will. It's, it's we have really it. Movie. We we have it here. I just haven't. I oh, haven't you watched it? it you just haven't watched yeah. it? No, uh, no, I haven't watched it because it's got different actors playing Dylan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of them is Kate Blanchett, I think. Right? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, cool. Those are. I, I'm uh, I'm impressed with how little overlap we had. 
Yeah, there's practically none. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Even in our honorable mentions, it's kind of, I don't know what that says, if it says anything, that you know what I mean, that, that we would have so little overlap. I mean, I think we had one film that we shared. It was you, uh, Chris and Nick, you guys had uh, uh, The People versus Larry Flint. Otherwise, no, and then Malcolm not, X. Oh, I'm Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. And other than that, there is absolutely no overlap whatsoever. That's, uh, I don't know if that has to do with our tastes or the way we did our selections or uh, what, but yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Huh. Well, it is, you know, there's a lot to choose from. When I did our, my yeah. little misdirect red herring post on Facebook where I took like five <laughs> biopics that we don't even Africa. talk about that are all very worth, you know, great biopics, you know, like, yeah. Um, I love all those movies. That's why I put them on there. But you know, they're more like my top fifty or something like that. So, yeah. but you know, our tops, as listeners know, aren't. We're not making you know objective claims. Either these are the greatest no, biopics. No. These are our favorites. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think some of it's subject matter. You know, because um, and so yeah, because yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if people don't know what you're talking about, so every time we do like a top thing, Nick will post um. Uh, a little teaser, you know, coming soon, our top. And he always puts a montage of, uh, you know, of artwork. And we, he doesn't consult us beforehand. And we don't talk to each other about our list beforehand. So who knows? And sometimes he does something really silly, like that there's no way any of us would pick, right? Or sometimes he does, you know, you usually don't put your own on there, the things that you've picked. So it's always a red herring in, yeah. on some on some level, you know? So people will see that and go, oh, what? Then people start commenting on the images. We're like, well, that, that may or, we may or may not talk about those films. We don't know. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot of fun on the on the Facebook page. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, good. I'm glad we did this. This is good stuff. Very good. Excellent. All right. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have any uh, feedback for us, you can hit us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com. There's a link on our website. That's a wrap show.com. That's a wrap with a W. And for that's a wrap, I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Gullen. All right, thanks for listening to episode 44, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Cut. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.